in the middle of our study, spring study, through the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is wisdom literature, uh, and so it talks a lot about wisdom, and we have defined wisdom this way. Wisdom is competence in regards to the complex realities of life. To say it another way, wisdom is skill at living. Skill at doing life well. It's the ability to know the right thing to do uh, in those gray areas of life where the moral rules don't, rep- uh, don't apply specifically in specific situations. And so we need wisdom in those situations. And God gives us a book in the middle of the Bible about wisdom. We've said that uh, this book is best studied topically. And so this morning we're going to look at another topic. Wisdom and our work. So follow along with me as I read from God's word on these various proverbs. This is God's word. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The way of the sluggard is a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. Slothfulness cast into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Skip down to 26.13. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own words, is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruits, and he who guards his master will be honored. Let's pray together and ask God to help us. Father, we're not here this morning because we're good, but we're here. You've brought us here. It's not an accident that we're here this morning, but you have brought us to this place for a reason. And so I pray that we, that you would move aside our distractions and the things that are consuming us, and that we would hear from you through your word. That spirit, you would speak to us and challenge us, help us to think about our work rightly, more than anything, show us the gospel, and show us Jesus and his goodness and his grace. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I don't have to convince you uh, too much of this, but work 
obviously is a very important dimension in a person's life. When you meet someone and you're doing the back and forth, you're asking, you know, first, what's your name? Then what? Where are you from? Somewhere in the top three, you ask, what do you do? What do you, what's your work? What do you do uh, for a living? You see, in many ways, work takes up the bulk of a person's life. And if you think about it, uh, why do you go to school? Why do people, why are our kids in school? Why do you go to school for 20 years? And some of you, if you're in professions where you have to go more than 20 years, why do you do that? You could say in some ways, so you can work. So that you can make money, so that you can provide for yourself and for your family and do the things in life that you want to do. You see, we spend the majority of our day and the majority of our week and the majority of our life working. And because of that, it is critical. It is critical that we as a church and as a people, uh, because it takes up so much of our life, it's critical that we gain some wisdom in the area of our work. Uh, And when I say work, let me clarify, I mean whatever it is that God has called you to right now. Children, for you, it might be being a student, or if you're a college student. So uh, maybe you're a student, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, maybe you work in business, maybe it's medicine or law or sales or retail or teaching, or maybe mechanics or food service or accounting, or maybe you're a full-time caregiver. Whatever it is that takes up the bulk of your day, Whatever it is that God has called you to, that's work. That is, I'm covering that and including that this morning when I mentioned the term work. And so let's look at three things about work this morning. Number one, I want us to look at a theology of work. I want us to develop a theology of work, how to think about it in a biblical way. Secondly, what are the problems with work? And thirdly, what is the solution for our work. So let's look at number one, a theology of work. Uh, People, from my perspective, tend to have a very poor theology of work. And if we're going to work well, like the Bible calls us to, with wisdom, then we need to think about it rightly. And to think about it rightly, we've got to know what the Bible says about it and how to view it. And so let me give you three uh, sub-points here under this main heading uh, of a theology of work. The first one is this. We must understand that first and foremost, that work is good. And that work is a fundamental human need. Most people don't pay attention to this, but in these early chapters of Genesis, chapters 1 through 3, did you know that work is instituted before the fall of man? Work is instituted, and God gives work to Adam and Eve, to human beings, before sin comes into the world. And when I ask people, or you ask people, a view of work, it is most of the time viewed as a necessary evil. And if you ask them, why do you work, someone will say something like, I work for money. I work so that I can make money, so that I can pay my bills, so that I can eat, provide for my family, and I'm going to work hard because I want to be able to live the way I want to live and do whatever it is that I want to do. And obviously there's some truth in that. God does provide work for us to provide. But if that's your view of work, it's extremely inadequate. 
extremely inadequate. We work because it's built into our DNA as a human being created in the image of God. We work because it's basic to our humanity. And as a person, you need to work. And when we don't work, it causes all sorts of problems emotionally, physically, uh, and spiritually. I mean, think about it. If you've ever lost a job or have you, if you have experienced unemployment, that, puts, that, that is a very difficult thing. And if, you know, if you've been through it or know someone, it's very difficult. Why? Because you were made to work. And not working or getting laid off or being unemployed can often feel very dehumanizing. Why? Because you're made to do it. And Proverbs goes right along with that fact of being build, built for work. Uh, it's held up as a positive thing. Look at 13.4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent, what? Is richly supplied. And so Proverbs is reflecting on the truth there that there's something spiritual about working. That good work taps into something very deep inside of us. And in those early chapters of Genesis, God calls us as human beings to have dominion and to rule over our little place on earth that God has given us to work. And uh, part of that call involves making wherever it is you work, whatever it is that you're called to, to make that part of the world a better place. Did you know that when you work hard and when you work with integrity and when you work to fix problems and bring solutions to the table in your business that you are in some small way, when you bring life there, it's in some small way bringing the kingdom of God to bear on the world. In some small way, we are giving the world a glimpse when we work well and rightly, a a glimpse that Christ is bringing restoration and making all things new. And you know this is true. Um, Maybe you worked in the yard yesterday. Maybe you worked hard. You know that when you put your hand and your mind to something, then you work hard to close a deal that you've been working on for years. Or when you meet a goal. Or students, when you study hard for a project and you get a good grade, or you study hard for a test and you do well, or there's a home project that you've completed. When those things happen, how do you feel? Good. It, it does something on the inside of you. It energizes. Even when you work really hard, it brings some energy and some life to you and refreshes you. Why? Because it's good. Work is good, and you were built to do it. But secondly, and most of us know this, so we're, again, we're creating our theology of work. Work is broken. It doesn't work right. It's not as satisfying as it's supposed to be. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve rebelled against God and sin entered the world. And not only was our relationship with God fractured at that point, but our relationship with work was also fractured because that's what sin does. It takes good things that God has created and it breaks them. That's why you're frustrated with your work. That's why you dread Monday mornings. That's why um, even when you work as hard as you possibly can on something and you could not have done anything differently, 
that things still don't go the right way for you. Work is broken. That's why you get burned out. That's why you get stressed out. That's why it often feels like a burden. That's why you get passed over for promotions. That's why you get cheated in deals. And it's why some of you might not ever find your dream job. It's why some of you might not ever find the thing in life that you just love doing. Because work doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Thirdly, the, thing, the other thing we need to add to our theology is that all human tasks are equally God-given and equally spiritual. Legitimate human tasks. Look at Proverbs twenty-seven, eighteen. Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruits. He who guards his master will be honored. And so the picture is of an inferior person, someone with a lowly job, but even in the world that would consider it lowly, if it's done well, it actually has great dignity and honor to it. Martin Luther has that famous quote. He says, the humblest serving maid, sweeping for the glory of God, is just as honoring to God, just as infused with dignity as the greatest preacher in the world. I love that. That's not the way I grew up thinking about work. I thought that the people who were in full-time ministry were the, were the real deal, that they were the special forces, <laughs> that they were the ones who were really spiritual. And the Bible teaches that all work, legitimate work, has beauty and dignity to it, and there is no staircase, spir- uh, staircase to spiritual jobs in God's economy. And I hope you find that encouraging this morning. Because you see what that means. It means that if you flip burgers for a living, that, that it's good. And that, yes, it, it not only provides money, but more than that, it reflects something about the beauty of God, that you are actually doing something to provide food for God's creation so that they can live and survive. If you're a musician... You reflect the beauty of God by taking chaotic notes and putting them together in order to make something really beautiful and to make beautiful sounds. If you're a stay-at-home mom, it's a glorious calling because you reflect God's delight in his own children as you play with them and care for them and protect them. Secondly, though, we... See, there's the problem of work. And so work was created, but because of sin, it has messed up our relationship with work. And so we are prone to one or two extremes. And the first one that the Proverbs talks a lot about is laziness. Because of our sin, uh, we have this extreme of tending towards laziness, but it's considered in the book of Proverbs the epitome of foolishness. You know, Proverbs has different kinds of words for the fool. And one of the words that Proverbs gives for a fool is the word sluggard. You probably heard me mention it several times as I was reading the passages. How is a sluggard described in the book of Proverbs? Well, lots of places we could look. Let me focus on 26, 13 through 16. First, we see that someone who is lazy... A sluggard is someone who makes lots of excuses and is afraid. Look at verse 13. There's a lion in the street. 
There is a lion in the road. Now, lions were certainly in the ancient Near East, but they weren't known to roam the streets. And so the point is the sluggard is laying on the couch eating chips and playing video games and making a silly excuse to not work or to avoid working. And so lazy people make lots of excuses, and sometimes those excuses can be really silly. Like there's a lion in the street in order to avoid work. But it is possible, and let's acknowledge, that this person is really afraid that there is a lion in the streets, even though that might be an irrational fear. And so fear can actually paralyze us, and fear can actually be a form of laziness. What do I mean by that? Well, sometimes the person who is perfectionistic can be lazy. And I know when you hear that at first, you're thinking, wait, that sounds counterintuitive. But think about it. You can have a crushing for your own life, a crushing standard of perfection that makes you procrastinate, that makes you put things off, that makes you avoid responsibility, Uh, that makes you refuse to put yourself out there. Think about it this way. This is the person who says, I'm not going to study for the test because I probably won't do well anyway. Or the person who says, no, I'm not going to try out for the team because I'm not good enough and I probably won't make it anyway. Or the person who says, no, I'm not going to apply for that job They refuse to apply for positions because, oh, they won't like me anyway. I I probably won't get the job. You see, you're so afraid of failure that it's just easier not to try and put yourself out there. But secondly, we see that someone who's lazy or a sluggard, as Proverbs defines it, makes an idol out of comfort. I love verse 14 of chapter 26. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. Uh, And so someone who's lazy loves sleep. They don't get out of bed. They love their comfort more than anything else, and it keeps them uh, from responsibility. Their comfort is a way of avoiding responsibility. This is not talking about a good night's sleep and that that's not appropriate. This is talking about someone who misses out on normal work, normal responsibility that God has given them because they love their comfort too much. And it doesn't have to be sleep. Maybe for you, you avoid responsibility by binging on Netflix. Or you avoid responsibility that God's given you by just mindlessly scrolling through social media. Or maybe you do it through video games. Or through whatever your comfort pleasure might be. But you use comfort to avoid responsibility. And so the root of laziness is wanting comfort more than anything else. See, what happens is very suddenly it becomes the grid through which you, to which you view all of life, your entire life through. So that you start making, again, it can be really sneaky, but you start to make decisions on what is most comfortable or uh, what is the easiest Or what is going to bring you the most pleasure with the least amount of pain and work possible? What's the result of laziness? Well, lots of things we could say here, and we don't have time to look at all of them in detail. uh, But let's glance at a few. 1915. 
the sluggard will go hungry. 15, 19, the hedge of thorns. In other words, that's saying life will be difficult if you're lazy. It'll be difficult for you. Proverbs 10, verses 4 and 5, poverty and shame on the family. Let me stop here. It's important to remember Proverbs are not guarantees. Remember? And what I mean is that we know perhaps lazy people who inherited a bunch of money and they're not struggling through life. So is is that possible? Does that happen every single day? Absolutely. And on the flip side, we know people who work really hard and diligently and who do all the right things and and through no fault of their own, they get caught up in the layoffs with the company. Or the economy goes south and they lose tons of their financial resources. But generally speaking, remember, Proverbs says, all things being equal, a sluggard will struggle in life. And someone who works hard and is diligent, uh, life will go well for them. Secondly, though, the other extreme that we're prone to in our work is workaholism or overworking. Uh, And it's important to realize, because we don't think this, that overworking, we think it's just lazy people. That really twists how God's made you to work. No, no, overworking is just as much a twisting of God's design for you as a human being, as laziness. And we need to focus and think about overworking and workaholism because that's our demographic. That's our context here. You see, when you overwork and you're not, what happens is you're not able to take care of your God-given responsibilities uh, in all of life and other things in your life because you're so focused on work. You become obsessed with it, and when that happens, people who, work or who are workaholics, they don't have time for friendships. They're typically lonely people, or they don't take care of themselves very well physically, or they can't worship because they can't sit still long enough to pray for three minutes or to read God's Word. Or because they're so busy, they don't have time to serve the church or serve their families. And so they tend to neglect those things. Why? Because they are so busy. See, not only do you, does overworking go against your design as a person, but overworking tends to have a negative effect on you as a person. Emotionally and spiritually and physically. Have you ever slowed down enough? To think, could my overworking, could it be that my overworking and workaholism is the reason why my marriage is, such a, is in such a bad place? Could it be that my workaholism, that my overworking, is why I can't seem to connect with my kids? Could it be that my workaholism, is that why I have so many headaches? Is that why I can't sleep well at night? Is that the reason possibly why my immune system is so run down and I'm sick all the time? Or my blood pressure is high? Or I'm angry and irritable with people? Or I'm anxious and stressed constantly? You see, wisdom is neither laziness nor overworking. But in the Proverbs, it's mentioned as working with diligence. That's the way Proverbs talks about it. 
What does that look like? Well, look at Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 11. You know what? I love this. God tells us to look at an ant. <laughs> I was working in the yard yesterday, and I saw tons of ants, and I couldn't help but think God in the Proverbs in more places than this says ants have wisdom. We can learn from them. And God says they work diligently. And what does that mean? Verse 7, they take initiative. And what that means there is that they don't have someone telling them what to do, forcing them to do it. They can be self-starters and self-disciplined. Verse 8, they plan ahead and prepare. They work thoughtfully. They don't procrastinate. Verse 8 again, an ant gathers food in harvest. And and the, the emphasis there is they don't do it all year. An ant knows when to stop. Being diligent means that you are a smart worker, but you're also a hard worker. I heard someone define it this way. Diligence is doing the, your best work with the gifts God has given you in the amount of time that God has given you and trusting God with the results. What are the results of diligent work? Again, no, no guarantees, just the way the world tends to work, and we can't get into all of those, but I want to point them out. Chapter 12, verse 11, you'll have what you need. Verse uh, 10, verse 4, you'll acquire wealth and riches. Proverbs 12, 24, and you see this all around you. Who typically gets the promotions in your company? Good workers, and, and we see it here in the Proverbs 12, 24. Hard workers gain responsibility and opportunities in life. And so how's your work? How is your work this morning? Are, do you overwork? Are you lazy and tend to underwork? What would it be like for you in your life to make changes so that you could work with diligence? Lastly, the solution for our work. I want us to be honest with ourselves at this point because I've been around uh, this community. I've lived here, you know, in the past, and uh, laziness is not typically your struggle. Again, I realize that it is for some of us, and in some ways we all struggle with it in different ways. Uh, But And it's a big theme in Proverbs, and we've got to talk about the sluggard, and we've got to honor the, the, the book. But the majority of you don't need someone to motivate you to work. You don't need me to warn you about laziness. You're doing fine on your own. We struggle with quite the opposite. Our tendency is, and I said it in the second point, overworking. And I think, here's why I'm going to talk about this, because it's tempting And people do it all the time. We can use what I just said in Over the Mountain Birmingham. We can take these Proverbs and it can cause us, we're already overworking, already working too much, and we can use these Proverbs to justify our workaholism. We can say, yeah, go get those lazy people. Uh, And that's the, the main warning in Proverbs. And so we can use it to justify our overworking and wrong relationship with work. Look at Proverbs 19.23. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. And and notice the proverb right before this one. It's the sluggard who can't bring his hand up to his mouth. And so right here you have working hard on the one hand, and you have resting, Proverbs 19.23, resting right next to one another. 
And so here's my question, can you rest? And I'm not talking about can you sleep well at night. Can you rest from your work at all? Can you stop working? Can you take a day off? Can you take a vacation? Uh, can you shut it down? And when, you, when I say that, some of you think that sounds impossible. And so the question is, uh, what enables us to work with diligence... This is the question we're going to answer. And what allows us to rest? What allows us to work hard and then shut it down and trust God? Well, it goes back to the fear of the Lord. Remember 1923. It all comes back to the fear of the Lord in Proverbs. It's everywhere. Remember chapter 1. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. See, the reason why you and I can't shut it down is because instead of God being in the center of our life and us worshiping him, remember the fear of the Lord means worship, reverence. Well, we just fear something else instead of him. We worship, something else moves to the center, and we start bowing down to and worshiping it. Maybe it's good grades. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's money or achievement, and we start loving those things more than God, and slowly but surely, that's your identity. That becomes your worth. That becomes your value. And everything gets tied up into those. And so what do you do? Well, you got to work harder. If that's your God, you've got to work harder. And when we do that, what do we do? We run ourselves into the ground. Why? Because work is a terrible God. It's a terrible taskmaster. It will never deliver. It will never give back to you. It will always take from you. And some of you know this. And so what do we need? We need the fear of the Lord. The only thing that will give us a right sense uh, and relationship to work is to fear the Lord. And how do we know what fear of the Lord is? Remember, we got to get to Jesus. We see the fear of the Lord become crystal clear in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who God says Jesus is the wisdom of God. Did you know Jesus came into the world to work? His father sent him into the world to work, to accomplish the things that he had given him to do. And what was the work that he was supposed to do? To live the life that you and I couldn't live because of our sin, but also to die the death that we deserve. Let me say it another way. Jesus came into the world. His reason for coming was to work in your place. To work in your place. To bear uh, the curse And the weight of God's punishment for our laziness. God died for our poor work ethic. And God died for our overworking. And when Jesus was crucified, you remember the last words? He said, he said, it is finished. What was finished? Everything that was necessary to be done in order to make you perfectly right with God has been done. That means that that is your hope as a Christian. And that is your rest as a Christian. And how is that your rest as a Christian? Because trusting by faith in Jesus actually frees you to enjoy your work and to work hard. It frees you because if you fail, so what? Your work doesn't define you. Jesus defines you. This morning at 6 a.m., I get to the church early on Sunday mornings. 
And uh, I was in my office, and I was leaving my office to go get a cup of coffee. And I was going to come back and work on my sermon. And when I closed the door, it locked behind me. And I'm looking through my glass door, if you've been to my office, and I see my keys. I feel like I was in a movie. Uh, I see my keys. I see my iPhone. I see my iPad. I can't get into my sermon, my computer, and my Bible with my sermon in my Bible. And you need to know something about me. I struggle with fear. You know what I'm scared of? I'm scared of failure. The reason why I was here early, and I am here early, and I know this is not going to sound godly, but I'm here because I don't want to fail. And so, God put me in a profession. (laughs) You know the two biggest things people are afraid of? Number one is death. You know what number two is? (laughs) Public speaking. And so for whatever reason, God wants me to deal with my fear every single week. And so I'm standing in front of my window of my door looking at this, trying not to panic, but panicking. And I started going at it with God. God, why in the world, out of all days, for me to get locked out of my office, why now? when this is the most important day for me to be in my office. And so I did what I should be doing every single time anyway. I grabbed a Bible, not mine, (laughs) because it was in the office. So I grabbed a pew Bible, and I started walking around the church outside. And I started praying. And over and over, God kept saying, Do you really believe this stuff? Do you really believe? You can really tell these people that they're not defined by their work, but what about you? What are you defined by? And so I prayed, and I read the Bible, 745. Martin, it's funny, Martin said he, he, he normally gets here early, but he said, Jason, Hallie's got my keys, and she's out of town, and so I couldn't help you anyway. 7.45, I get in my office, and I continue to pray, and God keeps reminding me that your success this morning is not determined my value for you. Likewise, your failure in your work and career doesn't make you less valuable to me because you are my son, and in you, I am well pleased. So it doesn't matter. And so wherever you are this morning, friends, trusting in Jesus and working, it allows you to work with diligence. It allows you to love people well. It allows you to honor the authority over you and to spend time with your family and shut it down. It allows you to not let work destroy your soul because in Jesus, your work does not make you more valuable. And nor does your failure make you less valuable to him because you are his beloved and he is well pleased with you. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says to the lazy this morning and he says to the workaholic, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy
heavy laden and I will give you rest. And then you know what it says? Not just rest, but rest for your soul. Anybody else here need soul rest besides me? Come to Jesus. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your good gift of work that you've given us. Forgive us for our laziness and our overworking. Holy Spirit, would you help us to find our value in you and not our work? Help us to know that you love us and that we're secure, not because of what we do, but because of whose we are, because we belong to you. Bring rest to our souls. And Father, take these tithes and offerings and use them for your glory and your good. In Jesus' name, amen.